Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Amen, amen. All right, today, get your Bibles and go with me to Acts chapter number 8. We've been in a series called The Story of Us. These stories that we read in the Bible, oftentimes in the history, this is the history of the church, if you will, the early church. When we read these things, sometimes we can say, well, that was 2,000 years ago, and that's a nice history lesson of what happened, and never apply these things to our life. And yet the book of Acts started out that this was what Jesus began both to do and to teach. And he's continuing that work in each and every one of our lives today. We need to know that this is not just the story of the disciples or of the early church. This is the story of us. It's your story, and it's my story. These things that we see happening in the Bible are happening to us today, and we can learn from their example of how they handled what was going on in their time and in their day. Now, the specific message title for this weekend is this, simply, what did you expect? Just a simple question, what did you expect? Acts chapter 8, verse number 1, and before we get into Acts chapter number 8, verse number 1, I want to give you some deep insight. This is the deep wisdom of God for all of us today. Acts chapter 8, verse number 1 comes after Acts chapter 7 concludes. I know, I know, pastor, this is getting too deep already. You know, this is, this is too much for me, but why do I say that? Here's the reason why. Because we need to understand that this was not written in chapter and in verse, there were not breaks, there were not pauses that the writers of these letters, that, you know, Luke, who was the author of the book of Acts, and he didn't stop and say, okay, chapter number seven's done, let's get started on chapter number eight. No, he was reading, he was writing a story that was taking place at that time. And if you remember last time when together we learned about a minister by the name of Stephen. His ministry was waiting tables when he started, but eventually God started to move in his life, and full of the Holy Spirit, he would declare the word of God, and miracles started taking place. He would debate with people in synagogues, and they got so angry because they could not stand against the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And it angered them so much so that they hired men and they got false witnesses to come and accuse him of things that he didn't do. He went before the religious leaders of that day, and they came and they said, are these things so? And rather than just say a quick yes or no, guilty or not guilty, he goes into a full-blown discourse on the history of Israel, likens it to what they're doing today, says that you guys killed the prophets, you guys killed Jesus the Messiah, you always resist the Holy Spirit, and he just gets all up in their face. Now they get so mad, they're angry at him, and he sees a vision of heaven open and Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. And as he sees that, they start to gnash their teeth. They kind of do this number, nah, 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 and they rush him. They grab him out of that place. They take him outside the city, and they put him to death by stoning him. Wow, pretty amazing, pretty amazing. What's even more amazing than that, though, is while he's filled with the Holy Spirit and they're putting him to death, he kneels down and he says, Father, I commit my spirit to your care. But then he prays for those that are killing him. And he says, Father, do not commit this sin against them. Wow. What an amazing man. What an amazing example for all of us. In Acts chapter 8, what do you expect is going to happen? What do you think is going to take place? Look at Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. Now Saul, remember Saul? Saul was the guy that was the coat check boy, right? He was a Pharisee that had come. He was probably a part of this whole thing against Stephen, stirring people up and going and finding the false witnesses. And now here he is, and he's taking the coats, and it says, now Saul was consenting to his death. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, Look at this, except the apostles. 
Now, I don't know why the apostles didn't go. Maybe they just figured, hey, this is just how it's going to be. They had already been persecuted. If you remember in the story of us that we had already read the book of Acts, that they had already gone before the Sanhedrin. They had already been beat up for their faith. And so they figured this is just a part of what Jesus had spoken to us, that in the world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so they stay in Jerusalem. It may be that they had a word from the Lord, stay this time, you'll go later. Verse number two, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made a great lamentation over him. They recognized this was a mighty man of God, and they took him to his burial, and they lamented, they mourned. Verse number three, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. If you look at that word made havoc, it really means like a wild animal tearing into the flesh of its prey. He went after it and went after it and went after it. He had tasted the blood of the first martyr and now he couldn't get enough. He was going after the rest of the church. Look at this, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. It wasn't just the men that he went after. He was dragging women out. Wow, this guy had no mercy. He was going after the church. And when I look at these verses, we're going to continue on in a moment, but when I look at these verses, it's almost as if you could say, what did you expect? You know, you think about that for a second. Do you think the devil expected that this persecution would stop the church? You think the devil expected that if he started to tear at the church and send these religious leaders and sway the systems around the church that he could quench the fire of the Holy Spirit? What did the religious leaders think would happen? What did they expect? Did they expect that fighting and persecuting and beating and putting people to death was actually going to stop the move of God? Let's take a look at the next verse and see what happens. Verse number four, therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere, period. Oh, I'm sorry. Did somebody say no? Just one person's paying attention in church today? Come on, is that what it says? Does it say they went everywhere, period? Is that what it says in your Bible? Oh, come on, shout at me in your living rooms right now. Type it in the comments section. What do you think? Is that what it says? Maybe I read it wrong. Let me read it again. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere and hid in caves and holes in the ground. No, that's not, that's not what it says in your Bible? Oh, I got it. I got it. Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere and converted back to Judaism because this Christianity thing is just too hard and I just can't today. That's not what it says in your Bible, huh? How, how about this? How about we all read this together? Come on, participate with us online. Let's all read this together. Maybe if I read it with you guys, I'll actually read it correctly. Verse number four of Acts chapter number eight says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Devil, did you expect to stop the church? Religious leaders, did you really think that you were going to shut up the people of God? Did you expect that we were going to stop just because you took our life? Oh no, the work of God has to go on and the people of God when persecuted are like stepping on a rose. The fragrance will scatter everywhere. Therefore, the people were scattered everywhere preaching the word. Verse number five, then Philip Oh, now we're introduced to another guy. But wait a second. We know this guy, don't we? This is one of Stephen's homies. He was one of his friends. It was one of the other table waiters. This was the guy that would say, hey, bro, can you come and fill up, you know, my, my Coca-Cola? Come on. The glass is getting empty here, right? He was another table waiter. What happens to Philip? Philip, look at this. He went down to Samaria and preached Christ to them. Now, this is just too exciting. i got to stop right here and park for a moment. Because he preached a little one-word sermon to the city of Samaria, didn't he? He preached Christ to them. I love those little one-word, two-word, three-word sermons. Don't you just love those? How about, how about the one-word sermon, Christ, right? What about a two-word sermon, but God? 
Don't you love that little two-word sermon, but God, right? All these things are happening. I'm down, but I'm not out yet. Why? But God. See, I could be sick. I could be on the door of death. I I could be counted as lost and 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 a lost cause, but God. But God came and saved my life. But God came and healed me. But God came and picked me up. But God, see that little two-word sermon, sometimes you got to preach it to yourself. What about a three-word sermon? How about God is able? That's a great little sermonette right there, little three-word sermon. God is able. Hey, listen, it looks like this isn't going to happen, but I got a little three-word sermon for you. God is able. Oh, no, pastor, it's impossible in the natural. We don't got enough money. We don't got enough time. We don't got enough education. We don't got enough people. We don't got enough smarts. But can I tell you some three little words? God is able. So Philip goes down to the city of Samaria, and guess what he preaches? He preaches a little one-word sermon, Christ. He preached Christ to them. This is the Christ. Maybe you guys remember this Christ. He came to your town. He met up with a woman at a well in John the fourth chapter, and guess what? He sat down and asked her for a drink, and she said, oh, you don't have anything to draw with. And he says, if you knew who it was asking, you would ask him to give you a drink, right? And he starts to open up and tell her everything that she had ever done. It amazes her so much. She goes back to the town, gathers up everybody, and everybody but he hears with their ears, but now they're seeing with their eyes, and they say, this truly is the Christ. He preaches that Christ to them, and that Christ went to a cross. He died. He went to the grave for three days, but on the third day, early in the morning, he rose from the grave. He appeared to Peter, and then the twelve, and after that, more than 500, and he ascended and is seated at the right hand of God, and if you will believe, you can receive salvation. He preached Christ to them. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that little one-word sermon he's preaching to them? What happens after he preaches this little one-word sermon? Christ preaches Christ to the people of Samaria. Look at what it goes on. It says this, verse number six, And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Hearing, hearing what? Hearing the gospel. Hearing the good news. Hearing that one-word sermon, Christ. And seeing the miracles which he did, verse 7, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And the result of it comes in verse number 8. And there was great joy. Everybody say great joy. Oh, come on, say with a smile on your face, say great joy. Somebody needs to put a smiley face emoji in the comment section right now. And there was great joy in that city. They were happy. They were laughing. They were excited. You know, when you see somebody get delivered from a demon, you get excited. You get happy. When you see somebody get healed in their physical body, you get happy. When you receive Jesus and the Spirit of God on the inside of you, you get the joy of the Lord. You get happy. You get excited. You get a joy that goes beyond circumstances and situations. Now, it is important that we understand that these people, they went out from Jerusalem, and they went throughout all Judea, and they went to Samaria, and Philip preached to Samaria. Why is that so important? Because these people were not a people that the Jews were known for going to, but they were scattered. And because they were scattered, they went everywhere. And as they went, they went preaching the gospel. And the gospel we see here was preached to the Samaritans. Why, why is this so important? Why am I harping on this? Because the Samaritans were hated. The Jews at this time had a prejudice against Samaritan people. Why would they have this prejudice? Because when Assyria came in 
And they took captive the northern tribes, the tribes of Israel, and they took them away. They left the poor. They left the broken. They left the weak. And they left them there, but then they sent in Assyrian people. And these people intermingled and married with the Jewish people. Now, according to the law of God, God said, I don't want you to intermarry with the nations around you, lest you serve their gods, unless you follow their ways. God wanted their bloodline to be pure so that he could bring Christ from them. And so they hated the Samaritans because they were half-breeds. They were half-Jews and half-Gentiles. Gentiles, anybody outside of the covenant of God. But I see here that God takes a people who were hated. God takes a people who were outcasts. And Jesus said he must go through Samaria. Why? Because he had to meet up with that woman at the well. He had to preach the gospel to these people because the Bible says to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. See, even though they were half, they were still in. They were down but not out. See, God knew that he needed these Samaritans to be a bridge. They were the halfway point to the purpose and the plan of God. Think about it. If they was going to go from the Jew first and then to the Gentile, how do you bridge that gap? How do you get halfway there? It could be that God said, I'm going to get halfway there by going to the half-breeds. I'm going to go and preach the good news to the Samaritans who are part Jew and also part Gentile so that they can be that bridge and, and overcome that barrier that gets this gospel out to the rest of the world. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and then to the uttermost ends of the earth. And so they needed to get out. And this persecution was the opportunity that God needed to spread out the people of God. What did you expect? Well, we already took a look at the devil and the religious leaders of that day, but when I look at Christians, sometimes I kind of scratch my head. I, sometimes I think, what, what, what did they expect? Had they been reading their Bibles? Because the Bible is explicit. It is clear about the things that we can expect in this life. There are things that we're going to go through, things that we're going to encounter. And especially when trials hit, and recently we've been in a trial. We've been in some problems. There's some things going on around us. Can anybody say amen, right? We know as we look around, as we see the news, things are coming up. It seems like, man, could it get any worse? And then it gets a little bit worse. And we're thinking, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? And yet, Christians, what did we expect? Well, today, I want to help you with your expectation. Because if you know what to expect and if you operate in these expectations, then I believe that you're going to live a life of purpose according to the plan of God, that you'll be able to stay strong and steady through every trial, through every tribulation, every problem, that if you know that you can expect these things in life, then when they happen, you won't be surprised, you won't be crying, you won't get off track. No, you will stay on track with the things of God. Today, what we can expect. First thing that we can expect is this. We can expect persecution. Now, I'm glad I didn't hear any amens because nobody likes that, right? Some of you guys are thinking, man, I knew I should have gone and watched a live stream of that other church today. Or maybe you thought I should have been like these guys online that could just pause it, go get something to eat and come back when it's over, right? And kind of speed through the rest of this section. But all of us need to understand you need to be ready. You need to know that persecutions will come our way. Well, pastor, isn't that a thing of the past? Isn't that just uh, the old archaic ways? I mean, we live in America. We're a little bit more advanced society. We understand we're tolerant, pastor. We can coexist in all this foolishness that they try and feed us. Because there is more persecution today than there ever has been in the history of the church. In fact, it's estimated that two-thirds of Christian martyrs throughout history have died just in the 20th century. And that 
Every year, 160,000 people die for their faith in Christ on the planet. We may be in this bubble called the United States of America, but outside of our land and even inside of our land, increasingly, there is persecution against the church. There are groups in Africa devoted to going and to killing Christians. They're hanging up Coptic Christians in their churches in Egypt. They're stealing women in parts of Africa. They're, they're marrying them. They're raping them, forcing them into marriages with Muslims. There are places that the gospel is illegal, and you're not allowed to bring a Bible or to convert somebody. And if you convert somebody or even talk about your faith outside of your home or outside of your church community, you can be put in jail. That's in Russia and different parts of the world. Persecution is alive and well. Even in China, they are burning down approved, government-approved churches, burning them to the ground and saying that they're illegal. Guys, there is more persecution going on now than ever has been in the history. And we need to understand it's coming to our land. It's already here. It's knocking at the door. It's trying to come in. Just take a look at recent weeks and you can see with the orders that have gone out, the attack against the church. This is an ungodly assignment. You can say, Pastor, you're a conspiracy theorist. Well, you can say whatever you want to say. But wisen up, church. We can expect that persecution will come. In fact, Jesus said, you're going to get persecuted. Things are going to happen to you. The Apostle Paul, when writing to Timothy, reminds him of all the stuff that he went through. And then as a little added little thing in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, this is in the New King James Version. He says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus. Can, can I just ask a question? Anybody desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? Just put a hand up real quick. Even online, come on. Do you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus? Just put a hand up right now, okay? Anybody who calls themselves a Christian should have their hand up right now. And if your hand is up right now, let's go ahead and read what happens when you do that, when you live godly in Christ Jesus. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. It's going to happen. Someone's going to hate on you. Someone's going to talk about you behind your back. Your family's going to turn away from you. They're going to call you names. They're going to call you crazy. They're going to call you Bible thumper. They're going to call you Pentecostal. They'll call you Billy Graham or Billy Sunday or, or, or Billy Goat's Gruff. I don't know what they're going to call you, but they'll call you something. They're going to turn around on you. Some people will hate you. People might try and get you fired on the job for taking a stand for Jesus. People might scheme against you. Eventually, the government systems and the, the religious leaders might come against you. You might be put in prison one day in our land for your faith. It can happen here, but we don't need to be surprised by it. We need to expect it. You know, the parable of the sower, Jesus talked about the, the, the seed that went among the, the shallow ground. And when the sun rose, it withered up because of the heat. And Jesus likens that when he interprets the parable to say that like the sun rises and withers and burns, that each day persecution for the word's sake arises. Guys, every day there's going to be something that comes against you for the sake of the word that's sown into your heart. You need to understand that persecution will come, but you do not need to shy away from it. You don't need to rip it out of your Bible or put a little bit of uh, white out over it just to kind of ignore it and hope that it goes away. No, this is not a promise you need to get up in the morning and claim every day, I'm going to get persecuted. No, it's going to happen, guys. But because we know it and because we can expect it, then guess what? We can take it because we have the Spirit of God on the inside of us. Last week, I quoted one of my heroes of the faith, missionary Jim Elliott, who was martyred in South America, him and his colleagues who went in to evangelize a group of Indians called the Aqua Indians in Ecuador. But the story doesn't stop at his and his colleagues' death, the other missionaries. 
Their wives went and took up the work and they went into the village and went, met up with the people who killed their husbands and eventually, by relationship, won each and every one of them to Christ. In fact, the men who murdered their husbands became to their children, they would call them uncle. They were so close. They were like family members to one another. Elizabeth Elliot asked this question. She says, is the distinction between living for Christ and dying for him so great? Is not the second the logical conclusion of the first? See, if we're going to live for Christ, then we need to be ready to die for him as well. Because Jesus said, whoever would follow me must lay down his life, take up his cross, and follow me. We can expect persecution to come. It's all a part of it. But today, guess what? The message just gets better and better. Because what can we expect? We can expect persecution, but also we can expect this is that second, we can expect the gospel to be preached. We can expect that Christians are going to preach that one word sermon about Christ. I want to read to you a little story about four people. Their names are everybody, somebody, anybody, and nobody. Story goes like this. There was a special job to do. This special job was to preach the gospel. Everybody was asked to do it. Everybody was sure that somebody would do it. Anybody could have done it, but nobody ended up really doing it. Somebody got angry because it was everybody's job and everybody thought anybody could do it, but nobody realized that everybody wouldn't do it and then it ended up that everybody blamed somebody for not doing it. Can I tell you guys something about this story? It is all of our jobs. It is everybody's job to preach the gospel. Can somebody say amen right now? It's all of our job to preach the gospel. And we should expect Christians to be sharing the good news. You know, there are no covert Christians. There are no secret service Christians. You know, Pastor, which, which, which church service do you go to? Oh, I go to the secret service. No, you do not. There are no covert Christians. We are all meant to be salt. We are all meant to be light. We are to make manifest the, those things. We are to be light on the earth. We are to be seen. We are to be the city on a hill that cannot easily be hidden. We are to be out there preaching the good news everywhere we go. Even in the face of persecution, the gospel still has to get out. And God doesn't want the church to be a place of concentration. No, God wants the church to be a place of radiation. What does that mean? That means that God is not looking for laser beam Christians where I only minister to this group of people that are this age, that are this color of skin, or that are this demographic, that are this amount of wealth that they make. Oh, no. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. Where on earth did we get that from? Guys, I, I've been around for decades now in the things of God, pastoring and, 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 and studying church and studying how to do this thing. And I've heard people say, people that are quote unquote church experts who I don't believe really know what they're talking about, talking about you need to have a laser beam focus. You need to know who your demographic is. You need to preach only to those people and cater your services to only those people. And if other people don't like it, they can just go find another church. Can I tell you something? That is ridiculous. The church is for everybody. The church is not meant to be a laser beam. It's meant to be the light of the sun radiating and that the whole land gets it, everybody warms up to it, and all people in all places can grow from it. The church is not meant to be concentrated. It is meant to be radiated. We ought to bring the light of Jesus Christ to the nations. This is for everybody. I'm sorry, I got a little, got a little angry there. I'll back off. 
But the gospel needs to get out even in the face of persecution. See, it was the storm of persecution that scattered and watered the seeds of the gospel. It was the violent wind that spread the flames that would consume the nations. And the mowing down of the church was the pruning that would bring the greater growth and the abundant fruit that was to come. And maybe you've heard it said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. This gospel has to get out, and you can expect persecution, but you can also expect that the gospel will be preached. Last one for us today is this. What can we expect as Christians? We can expect God to confirm his word. We can expect God to confirm his word. You know, I got a little angry, got a little bit in your face right there, so I think it might be a good time for a joke. You guys want to hear some workplace humor? Is that okay? You guys ready for a joke? All right, good, good. I'm going to tell my sister over here the joke because she's the only one responding to me. So y'all can listen in as I tell her the joke. There was uh, two people in an office building, a man and a woman. The woman told the man, and she said, I bet you I can get the boss to give me the day off. He says, you're on. So she flips upside down and hangs from the roof. And he's going, what on earth? The boss walks in a moment later, and he looks at her up on the roof, and he says, what are you doing up there on the roof? And she says, I'm a light bulb. And he says, you have been working way too hard, way too long. These COVID restrictions are driving you crazy. You need to take a mental health day. Go home. So she drops down from the roof, grabs all of her stuff, packs up, and starts to leave. The man grabs his stuff and starts to walk out behind her. And the boss says, hey, what are you doing? He says, well, I can't work in the dark. Now, how many of you know God is a worker? That God has been working since the very beginning. You guys know that God has always been, Jesus said, my father and I have been working from the very first day till now. What is God working on? Because we think of God as just chilling, right? God's just hanging out, sitting back. He's got the angels waving their wings over him, cooling him with a fan, maybe feeding him some peeled grapes. He's listening to some harp music in the background, right? We think of God just kind of relaxing. Jesus is chilling in his right hand, just sitting there doing nothing. No, they are workers, God is a worker. God is a man who works, right? God is the one who went to work. Jesus was the suffering servant. He was a servant. He was a worker. What is God working on? Let's take a look at it in Mark chapter 16. Last verse in the gospel of Mark. Maybe you want to turn back from Acts past John and Luke and maybe find Luke chapter 1 verse 1. Back up one verse to Mark chapter number 16 verse number 20. Jesus is just raised from the dead. He's just given his disciples who are now the apostles, the sent ones, this great commission. And now it says, that when he had spoken to them, he was lifted up into heaven, received up into heaven, and now he sits down at the right hand of God. But look at verse number 20. And it says, and they went out, speaking of the disciples, these apostles, they went out and preached everywhere. Look at this. The Lord doing what? Oh, come on, shout it at me. What's that word? The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. Did you know that God says in the book of Isaiah that he watches over his word to perform it? That when we declare the word of God, God goes to work on it. Because God says, my word will not return to me void. And the seed has the power within itself to produce after its own kind. That means if you sow an orange seed, you're going to get oranges. If you sow an apple seed, you're going to get apples. And if you sow the word of God into your life, you're going to get the results that the word of God has on the inside of it. God is watching over his word. God will perform his word. That's why when Philip preached to Samaria, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ started to heal, started to deliver, started to save. And there was great joy in that city because Jesus was in that city because the seed had been sown. 
And it's no different in our lives. Today, if you're going through a trial, today, if you're going through a problem, today, maybe you came in here concerned. You might have come in here just all messed up, even though you're dressed up. You're still tore up from the floor up. Come on, somebody. Maybe I'm talking about your life right now. You could have come in depressed, discouraged, beat down. You need an upbeat. You need the word of God to come into your life, and you need God to do something. Today, can I tell you something? Persecution will come. It's going to attack. It's not going to feel good, but you can make it because you have the spirit of God, and this gospel has to get out. If it's gotten on the inside of you, then start to get it out of you. Be a witness, but also declare the word of God, and God will show up, and he will work on your behalf. Very familiar scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse number 28. I'm going to read it to you in the Amplified Classic version. I'm going to put it up on the overheads for all of us to read. It says this in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We are assured and know, look at, what do we know? We know that God, being a partner in their labor, I love that. Because as we go out and do the work of God, as we go and preach the gospel, as we go to our homes and as we go to our places of business, as we go throughout our community, whatever you're doing for God, God is a partner in your labor. Look at this, all things work together. Somebody say, all things. How many things? Come on, in all caps, I need you to type this in the comment section right now online. How many things? All things work together and are fitting into a plan for good. God is not trying to drag you down. God is not trying to break you up. No, God is trying to get you healed, delivered, restored, saved, blessed. You might be persecuted. Bad things might happen, but God is going to work it out for good. He's laboring. He's working on your behalf to and for those who love God and are called according to his design and purpose. Do you know God can take COVID-19 restrictions and work it out for his glory and his good? Do you know that God can take racial tensions and he can bring people together in unity? Do you know that God can take any bad thing that happens, death, sickness, turmoil, he can take it all. God can weave it together in a beautiful tapestry that shows the glorious goodness of his plan of eternity. God is the God who declares the end from the beginning. He is working on your behalf. Somebody ought to give the Lord a praise for that right now. If God says something, then expect him to confirm his word. Don't be surprised when good things happen. Be thankful. Can we just say thank you to the Lord right now? Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the good things that you're doing on our behalf. God, we may not see it. We may not understand it all right now. We may not know what it is you're doing, but we do know you. And we do know that you are good and that you are up to something good in each and every one of our individual lives. God, we're grateful. And we say thank you for our present circumstances, for our situations. God, we thank you for even the problems and the trials because we know that you're going to work it out for good. Lord, we keep a grateful heart and we say thank you. Can I just take a holy moment with everybody right now, whether you're live or online? Come on, don't, don't tune out. Don't tune out right now. Don't get up. Don't leave. I just want you to take this moment. I want you to pray. And ask you a question. If you don't know the answer, I want you to ask God in this moment. What is God speaking to you? you need to take a moment and pray that prayer and say, God, what are you speaking to me? Just do that right now and listen for his voice.
Some of you, God dropped a scripture in your heart. Some of you, God dropped one word, a little one-word sermon, maybe a two- or three-word sermon. God have given you a phrase or a memory, a person's face. What's God speaking to you? I know if I don't write stuff down, I'll forget it. Would you just take a moment and write down what God spoke to you? Just take a moment, commit it to a note, maybe on your cell phone, your tablet, pen and paper, and the leaf of your Bible, something like that. Just write it down. I know if I don't write stuff down, I'll forget it. I don't want you to forget the things that God is speaking to you right now. What's God speaking to you? If you're here with a faithful friend, maybe your spouse, your children, Maybe you're online watching with a friend or maybe you're watching with your family and you feel comfortable sharing that with them. Would you just share that with them? Maybe show them the note or whisper it in their ear right now. Take a moment, talk about it. If you're comfortable online, you want to put it in the comment section, the, the scripture verse or maybe that word, you know, faith, joy, whatever God's speaking to you, it's appropriate. Go ahead and put that in the comment section right now. Let's commit these things back to the Father. Father, we thank you for the word that you've spoken to our hearts today. God, we receive it. We thank you, Lord, that you are looking over your word to perform it in our lives. We love you, God. Though persecution may come, God, we can stand because we stand with you. We will continue to share the good news everywhere we go. We thank you, God, that you are working to watch over your word. Do it, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.